you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. I'm saying both parts because <laughs> Will the Great is out today. You know what this is? This is uh, Mondays with Miki. Boom. I just did it. That's what we're doing. Today is Mondays with Miki. No, actually, it's that's not on purpose. It's uh, Will had a conflict in his schedule. He's doing some uh, some training, and so he can't be with us today. So it's just neat that you have a little bit of alliteration there with Mondays uh, with Miki. It's not going to be a thing. It's not going to catch on. It's not the same thing as Wednesdays with Will. And so we're not going to force that to happen. Um, everybody, hold your tomatoes. Okay, because I, I, I hear from the people, <laughs> we all, or we both, hear from the people who love the Wednesdays with Will. And I feel like when I came on and I said Mondays with Miki, I feel like y'all all got your tomatoes, your rotten tomatoes, and you're ready to throw them out. You're like, no, bring out the man. I'm joking. I'm I'm joking with that. Okay, I'll I'll let it go. Um, today I want to talk about family, but before we do that, I want to um make some announcements so that you are aware of what's going on here at the American Family Association and also what's happening with Aaron the Addisons. Uh, we invite you to listen at your leisure via podcast. You can download the podcast when you go to afr.net or wherever you get your podcast, if you, however you do that, however you subscribe, we invite you to do that. I would also ask that you would rate the podcast if you can. I, I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people think about um, what rating a podcast actually does, but it does help put it on people's radar. So if this program is a blessing to you, would you rate it? And um, rate, I should be specific, rate it highly. <laughs> Thanks. And then also share it with people. Let people know that there is a podcast out there that's a blessing um, in your life and a blessing to your family. That would mean a lot to us. On November 9th, we have a date night coming up in Little Rock, Arkansas. And in the next segment, we're actually going to talk to a gentleman, um, Mr. Jerry Cox, who is the founder and executive director of Arkansas Family Council, who will join us in helping with that date night in Arkansas next. I was about to say next month. That's next week. Next week. So if you want to attend, I think that there's still um, an opportunity for you to register. It's a free event. All you got to do is let us know that you're coming. Um, you can go to marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net, and let us know that you're coming and we will welcome you <laughs> with arms wide open. My arms. But for the record, even though Will the Great is not here, I will still give him a hard time. He will welcome you with a fist bump. I will welcome you with arms wide open, but that's what makes us uh, a compliment to one another among other things. All right. And then also AFR is launching its streaming platform. I am so excited about this with all of the cancellations happening. Um, AFR will not be canceled. We will stream all of our content plus additional content for all access members. Those who support um, American family association at any rate uh, per month will have unlimited access to everything that we offer. This is our response to the culture. This is, this is not Unlike what we did with American Family Radio, I mean, there just comes a point where you realize that if you have to go and ask the adversary for permission to tell the truth, 
probably you're not going to get permission to tell the truth. So we have to just be able to tell the truth without asking permission. And streaming is uh, the next way to do that, creating your own platform where you can do that. In fact, um, if you look at the landscape, you'll see that a lot of organizations are moving in this direction because it's become obvious that um, those who have wickedness in their sites are not going to they're not going to allow you to uh, challenge them. They're not going to give you permission to say no to their ungodliness. So you just have to take it. Um, I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything else. I think I got it. And so with that, at least for now, with that, um, we'll get into the, into today's program. So the title of the show today is Family First in Every Way is the Only Way. Family First in Every Way is the Only Way. And so I want to spend the show talking about the importance of family. And you might say, well, Miki, that's something you guys do all the time. And that's true. You're not, you're not wrong. Um, but I, I want to just focus in on that because there's something that I constantly see is that, that we tend to overlook the importance of the family. We tend to overlook the importance of what we do inside our homes and the effects of that in the larger community. We sometimes want to start outside in the community and then expect that those changes will just kind of work their way back. Well, I'm telling you, that the changes we see outside in the community began in the home. So when we look at the decline in the culture, we look at the, de- the decline in the community, that actually began in the home. Like you, you can't, there's no way you're going to be able to uh, sidestep the home as the first place where people learn how to be. And this is by God's design. God designed it that way. And somehow we have neglected that or we have overlooked that. And so I want to talk about that just a little bit. Before we do that, um, you may have already heard about the Twix controversy. So I learned about this on Friday afternoon. There I was on Friday because, you know, so popular and cool uh, doing laundry. And um, and I was listening to this commercial. And then Will the Great sent me the video. And, and I thought, where where have we gone? Right. So this is and, and let me be specific here. This is not a commercial like you might think of a commercial. And I probably need to give just a little bit of a disclaimer um, because it does deal with um, children dressing up as the opposite sex. So just to give you a disclaimer there, but I'm going to play a little clip from it in just a second here. But this commercial or this short, as it's more accurately described, is from Hulu. And it's a collaboration between Hulu and the Twix Candy Company, where for the last couple of years, uh, Hulu's been doing this, something that they call Bite Size Halloween, Bite Size Halloween. And they have a series of shorts. And this is how they describe it on their own website. This is what Hulu says, quote, a series of standalone horror shorts ranging from terrifying to ridiculous. Okay. Um, But they have a recent one. They have a new one out this year. This is their second season doing this, where... I'm, and, and I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like I need to give, <clears throat> guys, you would think that I don't talk all day. Can I tell you that by the time I start doing this show, I've been talking for hours because I educate our kids at home. So we've been talking for hours anyways. Um, but maybe it's a mental thing when I'm doing radio. All right. So let me give you a little bit of background on this show or on this short so that when I play this clip for you or when J-Mac plays this clip for you, you'll kind of have a little bit of context. So you've got a little boy who is about, um, he appears to be about eight or nine years old. He's at home. There is a ring um, on the doorbell. He goes to the door. He opens the door. And here is a woman who, for all intents and purposes, appears to be um, a witch. 
you could say something else or maybe goth. Let me not go extremes. She may be goth. Okay. She's dressed in all black. And, um, she says to the kid, I'm, I'm your new nanny. And he says, I don't need a nanny. And he slams the door closed. Okay. Well, then all of a sudden he's looking out the window to see that she goes away. Well, he turns around and she's mysteriously in his home. All right. And she says, well, your parents think that you do. And she gives him this look like I'm here. And then all of a sudden they're coloring together. And, you know, this this wonderful, you know, nanny kid relationship kind of develops. And then she's going to take him out. OK, they're going to go outside. And the little boy happens to be wearing a princess dress. And as she takes him out, there are some questions. He encounters a couple girls as they're headed out. And um, they have questions about why he's dressed up. It's not even Halloween. Right. Even though these are the bite sized Halloween shorts. OK, it's not even Halloween and all of this is very important. And then they make their way to the park and they encounter another little boy. And this is where we'll play the clip for you, because this is the part where they encounter another kid. Once they get to the park, listen. Hey, you princess, you look like a girl. Why are you wearing that? Dressing like this makes me feel good. Is that your nanny? She looks weird. You look weird. Your nanny looks weird. You guys are both weird. No, we're just different. Boys well, we don't wear dresses. Whoa! Wow! Where is it coming from? What's happening? Ow! We should go. So... So, so the nanny kind of like vanquishes the boy who says, hey, you look like a girl. So, so what happens, you can't see this and you can look it up. You can find it for yourself so that you can see it. But what actually happens is the little boy goes out. Um, first of all, they get buckled in and she, you know, so safety first, right? She turns around, are you ready to go? And he goes, I'm still wearing my princess dress. And she says, do you want to wear it? And he's like, yeah, I, I, I feel good when I wear this dress. Like, it makes me feel good. And so she's like, well, let's go. So they go to the park, and then they encounter a kid, another little boy who says, hey, you, boys don't wear dresses, right? But, but it's also the tone here, right? So this is overly played up to where the boy becomes sort of the quintessential, like this, this is like the definition of the bully that we cannot tolerate, right? He's, here's this little boy who has been, you know, whatever his issues are, he's been beaten down, presumably by society, by culture. And so he's got this nanny who's going to take him out to take on the world. And then you've got the bully. And what's the response to the bully? You can't see this, but she causes this great wind to kind of descend upon this kid where she vanquishes him. All of a sudden he's gone. And the only thing left behind is the cape that he was wearing. So apparently he was wearing like a superhero cape or something. He's out playing in the park. They're all playing in the park. And then when she, you know, exits him, she says to the boy, we should go. And 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 that's how it is. It ends with the nanny and the boy walking hand in hand. It is the anti Mary Poppins. It is like not Mary Poppins at all by a long shot. But interestingly enough, she has this all black umbrella. I mean, it is, it is, it's a mockery in so many different ways, but it's also something deeper than that. It's something bigger than that. And I think this is the warning that we've been trying to issue to parents. When we talk about media, and we talk about what our kids are consuming, we are talking about a very 
um, extremely one-sided message. And what is that one-sided message? The one-sided message is that there are no rules except for the rules that we put in place, right? So the culture has its rules. It used to be that our culture said um, that there were uh, no absolutes, so people were free to think whatever they wanted, right? Like you you couldn't just impose your views on other people where our culture has erased that. And actually now our culture has moved into the realm of absolutism where our culture says, actually, there there are absolutes. We just get to determine what those absolutes are. We get to tell you what those absolutes are. So now what is the culture saying? The culture is saying that boys wear dresses and anyone who has the audacity to stand up and to say, no, boys do not wear dresses. Boys are not princesses. That person should be vanquished. And then l- l- let me tell you, because you're, you're listening and you're like, Miki, I, I really don't know that it sends that kind of message, doesn't it? Doesn't it send that kind of message? That short says to the culture, we are past conversation. We're beyond the point of conversation. So we don't talk about whether or not it is or isn't okay for boys to wear dresses anymore. That's not a conversation. Now, the only place fitting for people who object is to be vanquished to like the nether regions or like, like the underworld. I don't, I don't know where the kid went. Like we, we, we still don't know. (laughs) That's a joke. We, I mean, you understand what I'm saying? The, the kid is offed because he stood up and said, Hey, Boys don't wear dresses. Now, where they exaggerate it is you've got the kid being belligerent, right? And I say belligerent. I'm using that word loosely here. You're weird. Your nanny's weird. But, but understand, understand that anyone who stands up and says something that goes against the prescribed narrative, against the prescribed truth, then that person becomes the Bull Connor of culture. That person becomes the Jim Crow South racist. Understand what we're talking about today. So imagine the kind of immense pressure that is placed on children and that's placed on families who have children in a context where they have no voice. You couple that with the fact that you also have a media message that is saying to children, you have no voice. What kind of culture are we living in? And what kind of culture will we live in as those kids as those kids who have been effectively silenced come into positions of quote unquote power, what will that look like? The battle is for, and has always been for the family. We'll talk more about that when we get back. Aaron, the Addison's American family radio. Stay close. Talk a little bit. So I'm out here giving the gospel. Said a couple things straight, you know what I mean? Never back down. Yeah. So I'm out here giving the gospel. I know y'all ain't heard from me in a while now. That's because I'm Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Appreciate you listening. Um, this is a sort of uh, Mondays with Miki, only because Will the Great is out. It's it's Aaron the Addison's. I promise you, Lord willing, next Monday, Will the Great will be back. And everyone went away with their tomatoes still in hand. Um, we, I want to talk family. This is, this is what we're talking about today. Family first in every way 
is the only way. We are looking at what's going on in our culture. And so many people have questions, you know, what can we do to turn our culture around? And and then the family is right there. You know, you're, you're facing your family. You're, you're there in the midst of your family. And then someone says, man, cultivate your family protect your family, um, train your kids. And, and then, and then people go away sad. They're just sort of like, mm, I don't think that's it. Well, yeah, it's, it's every bit of that. It's more, there are other things that you can do, but that's gotta be the first work that you're found doing, uh, shoring up the family. Joining us now to talk about that is Jerry Cox, who will also join us on November 9th for our date night in Little Rock, Arkansas. He is the founder and president of Family Council. He began Family Council in 1989 after a successful effort to amend the Arkansas Constitution to prevent the use of public funds for abortion. He is the founder of the Education Alliance, the Arkansas Physicians Resource Council and the Arkansas Justice Institute. I want to go on. I want to I want to read a little bit more here because I think that this is super impressive. In 2004, he spearheaded a successful effort to amend the Arkansas Constitution to define marriage as the union of one man and one woman. In 2008, Jerry led a successful effort. The use of successful here over and over is really, really cool. A successful effort to pass the Arkansas Adoption and Foster Care Act between fundraising, public speaking, leading the staff, lobbying and writing. Jerry maintains an active role in ensuring that Family Council continues to serve the people of Arkansas as it has for more than 25 years. And Jerry joins me today to talk about family first in every way. Jerry, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. And it's a pleasure to be with you on the program. And um, just love to talk about family because let me tell you, if we don't save the family, you can't save America. There is no way. I, and, I, you know, listen, this is this is one of those things where we have so disregarded the family, Jerry, that when people go back to the family as the foundation of culture and civilization, it seems to be doing nothing. Like people think that that's inactivity to say, I'm trying to train my children. I'm trying to pass on the gospel intact. I'm trying to make sure that they understand the type of government in which they live and exist. And, and for some reason, I don't know, it seems to be an afterthought to people. Uh, Before we kind of get into the thick of that, though, give our listeners an overview of uh, Arkansas Family Council. What is it that you guys do at a local level? Well, back several years ago, I realized that almost everybody had a lobbyist at the Arkansas State Capitol except the family. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought, who's at the Capitol looking out for families? Who's there upholding biblical principles? You know, Arkansas is like a lot of other southern states. There's a church on every corner. We're mm-hmm. the Bible Belt. And yet um, those values just weren't being reflected, I felt, at the state capitol the way they should be. So I went to the capitol and I began to work for the pro-life bills, the pro-family bills, the religious freedom legislation, all those things that uphold biblical principles. And um, let me tell you, it was an awakening. I started lobbying, actually, when Bill Clinton was governor of Arkansas Mm. back in the late 1980s. And um, boy, I tell you, that was a machine and it was an awakening. But over the last few years, we've had a lot of success. But the thing is, you can't just rebuild a family by passing laws. You Mm. have to instill in the hearts of people that family is important. And boy, I think about previous generations, my parents, were children of the Depression. And I hear them talk about how hard life was, how poor people were. 
And yet, one thing they had, most people had family, and family stuck together, and they looked out for one another, and they raised their kids. And, you know, out of that came the greatest generation. Mm. And I think that's a testimony to what can be done if you don't even have a lot of money or anything else. You can still have family, and you can still have morals, and you can still do the right thing. And they did it, and we need to get back to that. You know, it's really interesting um, when you, so just that comparison that you made looking at prior generations, I was doing a bit of research on Generation Z and recently I commented on the fact that Generation Z and they're pulling. So these are the kids, I I like to describe them as the kids who are still eating bacon at your table. Like these, these kids are still very, (laughs) they're still very young. They're still preparing breakfast. Like the oldest among them just graduated from college, right? So when we talk about Gen Z, um, even though they are really being studied largely, they're they're young people. So they're uh, what 1997, I think, to 2012 would be the the range there for them. Um, but when you talk about them, one of the things that the researchers have found is that when asked about what contributes to their sense of self, like what contributes to their overwhelming sense of self, family is number three on their list. It trails behind their success, their um their uh. Uh, educational attainment and their employment success and then their hobbies. Those two things, that's number one, number two, and then family. Actually, if you go just a little bit further down the list, family is number five. And so when, when you think about the, the change that has happened over the generations, how family has become less and less important to people to what do you attribute this, Jerry? Well, for one thing, I think, um, we have looked to government to solve a lot of our problems. You look at previous generations, they didn't have welfare. They didn't have a check in the mail. Uh, if you were going to, if you got in a bad way, you had to turn to family to try to help you get through. And now we, we've sort of replaced dads uh, with a check sometimes in the mail. Mm. We've replaced family with um, government programs and so forth. And as these government programs continue to grow, people say, well, why do we need a family? You know, we've got the government to take care of us. But the the truth is, family does so much more than just put food on the table, doesn't it? I mean, family is where you learn discipline, where you learn a work ethic, where you learn not to say certain words. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn, <laughs> you, you learn, you learn you know, in family, you know, that there's somebody there saying, how did you do at school today? You know, I had a school superintendent tell me this. He said, if, you know, a lot of these kids that do bad in school don't have anybody at home asking them one simple question. He said that one simple question is, how did you do at school today? Mm -hmm. And kids that don't have that, feel like nobody cares, and most of them do poorly in school. But he said this. He said if a mom asks that question, kids could do about twice as well in school. But they said if a dad asks that question, they do twice as good again. Wow. Because uh, all of a sudden, dad, and you you know, we all remember when dad spoke, you know, it was like, oh, I better stand up and salute, or at least it felt that way at my house. 
And, well, um, you know what? Let me let me stop you right there, Jerry. Yeah. Let me just say, and this is, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because this is what I talk about a lot. So I didn't grow up with my dad in the home. And, you know, and I, I look back on that, and this is why the work that I do is so important because I see the difference now. Will the Great and I are married. We have six children. I see the difference in having the father, the paternal input. I mean, I homeschool the kids. I can say 20 times, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. And, and, and yeah, I know they hear me but will the great looks at them and they start doing it i'm like what i don't understand like i just told you you needed to do this but there is a huge difference that a father makes and and to your point here there are many kids who are missing out on the opportunity and we're normalizing it now it used to be that everybody agreed that children need their father but now we live in a context where we are trying to normalize quote unquote all sorts of families i remember um my wife and i have raised four sons and they're all grown and married and married to really wonderful girls that we have some grandchildren now. Mm-hmm. But I remember when one of our sons was working at Sonic drive-in when he was in high school and he had to stay there until midnight. And one night about midnight, it was just, it was raining sideways, you know, one of those nights. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the phone rang and it was my son, you know, it was at Sonic. He said, Dad, we're about to close up and my car won't start. And, of course, with four sons, we always had a bunch of old cars, and they were always <laughs> breaking down and uh, and all. And, I, you know, I didn't even give a second thought. I got my coat on, got in my vehicle, and I drove through the driving rainstorm and thunder and lightning. And I went and I picked my son up, and mm-hmm. I brought him home safely. And, you know, I said, you know, we'll take care of the car tomorrow. Don't worry about it. We'll get you home. And I mentioned that at work the next day. And a guy that I was working with said, Jerry, he said, I would have given anything to have had a dad who would have done that for me. And it just broke my heart because Mm. what we just considered normal and second nature, other people considered extraordinary. And boy, I wish I could have had a dad that would have driven through the storm to come and get me when I, when I needed to be rescued. But that's what dads do. That's right. And that's what moms do. Uh, They're they're heroes. Uh, Mom is up during the night when the kids are sick or dad is, um, you know, out fixing the, the cars when they need to be fixed. And, and so you cannot minimize that. We need our churches to just blast from the pulpit how bad the breakup of the family is. Mm-hmm. We don't want to make people who end up in a failed marriage to feel worse, mm-hmm. but we don't want to make people feel like marriage isn't necessary because it is. Oh man, and, you, know, you know, yes, yes. I Go mean, ahead. Uh, you know, there, there's that old saying that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Mm-hmm. I really, I really believe that. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm so grateful for, and I say this all the time, I will not get tired of saying this, is that I'm grateful for my mom because it was not her plan. My mom, um, after making a decision, coming to the Lord um, at 15, did not have in her um, plan to be married and then divorced. But my father left our family. He, He walked out on our family. One of the things that I'm eternally grateful for is that my mom did not move the goal. 
She didn't say, oh, you know, don't worry about marriage. Like, don't, you know, mom kept the standard because it is the biblical standard in front of us. It's not an American standard. It's not a Western prescription for family, as some organizations like to call it. It is God's design that there is one man, one woman raising children should the Lord give them those children uh, for life. And I think we have gotten into trouble in this country because we have devalued that in many ways. Before we run out of time, though, I want to ask you a very specific question, Jerry. Um, And just to get your opinion on this, as we look at the elections um, that are happening tomorrow, specifically in Virginia, I think that the response in Virginia will say a lot about the value of parents and even to some extent the outrage of parents. Uh, When you look at the gubernatorial race there, I'm wondering if you're paying attention to this because this it's been said that this is a bellwether moment. But I'm wondering if people see it as a bellwether moment for the reason that it's a bellwether moment. I I don't think that it's just as we might uh, classify it politics. I do think that parents are rising up. And I think that what we see in Virginia tomorrow could say a lot about the great importance of parents returning to this fight. What do you think about that? Boy, you're exactly right, because educators sometimes get get this idea that somehow that well we own the kids the school owns the kids the mm-hmm. state owns the kids and we'll decide what's what we what they're taught what's what, what we think is best and these parents are rising up and saying no wait a minute these are our kids come on right. and we have hired you guys to teach them by using our tax dollars and we want to say in this and so I think if we see that kind of involvement from parents around the country, then you're going to see a change in our schools. But in order for there to be that involvement, there has to be a family structure of some sort at home Mm -hmm. where the parents are saying, I really care about my kids. I'm not going to outsource my parenting and hire a bunch of other people to do my parenting for me. I'm going to do it, and I may get other people involved, but at the end of the day, God gave me the responsibility to, to raise my kids and to teach them in in the proper way. And, um, boy, I'm excited about seeing these parents. I wish school board meetings all across the country would be flooded <laughs> with yes. moms and dads that are there saying, we own this school and we're going to have a say in it. Yes, yes. You know, I'm wondering if there's even a way that we could look at what's happening um, across the country and and kind of decide or make make the determination that this is the reawakening of the parents like I'm wondering if when you squeeze the family the way that our country right now um, is squeezing the family and saying that you are unimportant that you don't have a say and this is not new this is something that has been said um, either by action or and behind closed doors this has been said for a long time that the family is un- unimportant but now I think um, you know parents kind of hearing it like it's being said to their face I-, I think that this is a moment for the parent to be stirred and reawakened what do you think this begins to practically look like and, and we're going to the break here but um, what does this look like in families now? Well, I think um, what you're going to see, I hope, are families stepping up. Now, you know, I wish everybody got to live in a two-parent household. I really do. Mm -hmm. I'm a realist. I realize not everybody gets to. Lots of reasons for that. We don't want folks to feel bad if if you are in a single-parent situation. But, But here's what I think we've got to get back to. We've got to get back to the parent sitting down with their child and being the parent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just doing those little things with them, teaching them, talking to them, yes. praising them, discipline them when you when you need to. All those Jerry, things. Jerry, I'm going to have to jump in because we got to grab this break. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll grab the break and we'll be right back. Ten Commandments, rolled up in one Love your neighbor as you love yourself Come on, don't forget that when you help all It's the Lord that you help He wanna say yeah. We gon' make it, we gon' make it, we gon' make it Say yeah. We gon' make it, we gon' make it, we gon' make it I believe parents should be in charge of their okay. kids' education Mr. McCullough, 30 seconds so first of all, this shows how clueless Glenn Youngkin is. He doesn't understand what the laws were because he's never been involved here in helping Virginia. But it was not. It, the parents had to write to veto bills, veto books, Glenn, not to be knowledge about it, also take them off the shelves. And I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, Through yeah, I stopped the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. It's it's one thing when you think that's what people think, but then when people say that that's what they think, you're kind of like now you know for sure that that's what they think. It's just I, it's just, it, it's a different animal. And I know yeah. <laughs> well, and see to that to that point um, here in the state of Arkansas, we tried we we tried and did not succeed at getting some legislation passed that would involved involved parents having to opt their children into objectionable type mm-hmm. programs. And let me give you an example. Let's say you have CRT or you have really graphic sex ed and all that. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of schools will just say, okay, we're going to teach everybody this and mom and dad never know it. But what if you had a law that said, you know, in order to teach some of these things, if you're going to teach it, we'd, we'd prefer you not, but if you're going to mm-hmm. teach it, then every parent has to sign their child up for it they have to opt mm-hmm. into it and um boy i tell you what if parents began to see what's taught in some of the schools i think the reaction would be like we've seen in virginia and elsewhere and yes. i think they would take back the curriculum uh at their school but yes as long as the parents are just kind of sitting on their hands then the schools are going to do what they want to and that's what we've seen. I, I, I think that's what we've seen. And and, and I want to say something else. And I, I'm so glad that you mentioned um, the efforts and the initiatives and the things that you're doing in Arkansas. I think it's important for parents to recognize that, you know, man, and I want to say this, you know, gently, but sternly. Sometimes we wrongly think it's over in that state. And, and whatever state you're Boy, talking about, it's true. always, yeah. you know what I mean? It's always like, it's not yeah. in my town. It's not at my local school. My kid is not going to be affected by this. And I think what, what the pandemic has done for many parents is that it has kind of pulled back the curtain and allowed them to actually, you know, see the Wizard of Oz. Like you, you can actually see who's pulling the levers. And so now parents are responding, but there's still work to be done. And there's still the, the responsibility of parents to kind of know what their kids are being taught. This is protecting in the family, isn't it? Well, it is. And um, see, our schools need to find a way. I mean, instead of sitting around trying to figure out how to teach critical theory and a lot of these other things that are mm-hmm. that are just not good, why don't we teach our kids the importance of a two-parent household? Mm-hmm. When's the last time you heard that taught in school? 
Mm-hmm. And yet we know that's the gold standard that everybody ought to be striving for. A, a child that, and I, you know, the reason I know about this is I used to, I used to be a high school history teacher mm-hmm. and I taught in a community where three out of four kids were in that community live. They were born out of wedlock. And most mm-hmm. of the, my students were in poverty and they lived in single parent households. Let me tell you, some of those kids succeeded but they started the race of life about 50 yards behind everybody else trying to get around the track. Mm -hmm. And they had to run so hard to catch up and some did, but you know what? Most just gave up and and they're living in the projects or they're, you know, just barely getting by. And, um, you know, the, the, the truth is marriage and a two parent household are as good a hedge against poverty as a college degree, if a person better. will just, if, if really yeah. all you got to do is finish school, finish school, then get married. Mm-hmm. Then after you're married, have your kids after you're married and stay married. If you'll do those things, there's less than a 10% chance you will ever find yourself in poverty. Now, I'm Listen. not saying you're going to get rich, right? you, you know, but, but you're not going to be in poverty. But if you start doing those things out of order or don't do them, like don't finish school, have children without being married, never get married, there's about a 70% chance that you're going to be in poverty. And so why don't we teach kids that? Why don't we teach them why that's important? It, the liberal agenda wants to talk about climate change and how it's going to do us all in. There are Jerry, a lot of other get- things out there that are bigger threat. Let me add to the let me add to the information that you just threw out there because this is information that does not get a lot of traction. But let me also add to what you just threw out the information. Those three things that you just listed, if you do those things, that you diminish or you decrease the likelihood that you will um, live in poverty. This is without regard to ethnicity. This is we without regard to your parents' socioeconomic status. We don't talk about this enough. And you know why? Because now what's popular to talk about is cultural Marxism repackaged as critical theory, now repackaged as critical race theory. So we would rather tell people what they can and cannot do simply based on the color of their skin or who their parents were versus telling them what they absolutely can do if they submit to the will of God, if they submit to God's um, norms and, and God's rules for living. Like, I mean, and, and why, why do I hesitate? God's rules for living. I don't need to give a disclaimer for that. Yes, God has determined how we should live and the blessing and the benefit is ours when we submit to that. But that's just not a popular conversation for us to have today, is it? That's that's absolutely correct. And, um, you know, it's worked all these years. It'll continue to work if we just follow the plan. And yeah. if you don't follow the plan, you pay the price. Yeah, that's right. I want to ask you one other thing before I let you go. By the way, let me remind our listeners, uh, the voice you hear is Jerry Cox, founder and executive director of Arkansas Family Council. And we are talking about family first in every way. Uh, and that's the only way. If we want to see any changes, if if we're tired of uh, constantly losing, I say the church has been hemorrhaging. The next generation and, and whatever generation you're in, the next generation has been hemorrhaging from the church. And, and the questions people ask, are, well, how is this happening? Why is this happening? Because we've made so little of the family and we've not taken seriously the mandate that God has given us in the context of family. So we're focusing on that. Uh, but I want to ask another question that may kind of go um, 
well, I'm not really sure how it'll go, Jerry. You will determine that with your answer. But here is my sure. here is my question. Um, I think that there are people who look at what's happening with kids. Like when you think family, most people think of kids of a certain age. Right. So they kind of like trail off if the family has um, grown kids, like kids who are outside of the home or maybe it's a married couple. And they don't yet have children or maybe it's a single person who's not married, doesn't have children. I think sometimes when we talk about family, we get a picture of a snapshot of the family at a certain time in their life. How can we move beyond that? And as um, people who fear God understand the family at different stages and that the work we do is an ongoing work. In other words, what I'm asking is this. When we look at the the culture that we exist in, how can people who are single, how can families who are married but don't yet have children, and how can grandparents and even great-grandparents fight for the family at every stage of their life? Well, let me start at the uh, at, at the older end of things. I'll work my way back very quickly. But uh, a friend of mine does a lot of men's ministry and he does ministry with men that are in prison. And there's a lot of animosity sometimes between the men that are in prison and their dads and the way their dads treated them. And my friend told me, he said, you know, he said, I've concluded that these men in prison would uh, would have such healing if their dads would just go to them and say, I messed up, I failed, I'm sorry, please forgive me. He said that would go so far to rebuild that father-son relationship. And a lot of these dads know they failed, but they just don't know how to tell their sons they did. So it's never too late to do the right thing. If you're a dad, a granddad, a great-granddad, you, so can, you, can, you can talk, you can apologize, and it'll make all the difference. As far as uh, go to the other end of things, before my wife and I ever married— uh, she was a church secretary, and she would sit and she would listen to Dr. James Dobson on the radio mm-hmm. talking about how to be a good wife, how to be a good mm-hmm. mother. And I think that was really important because when we got married, we already knew what kind of home we wanted. We knew mm-hmm. that divorce was not an option for us. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think having that commitment going into marriage and knowing you know, that we're going to have kids and we're going to do our best to, to be good parents and all that. Just having that model and that idea really helped us with, with I think, raising our boys. We weren't mm-hmm. perfect parents. There aren't any perfect parents. But you know what? You can do it good enough, and your kids will turn out really good, and you'll be blessed, as Proverbs mm-hmm. says. And so I think that that's an important part of it as well. But there are oodles of guys out there, young men, that are looking for a father figure. If you're a man, you got time, you could certainly be a father figure to, to some boys. I know I, I faced a lot of that when I was a high school teacher. There were a lot of young men that really wanted a dad, and they were looking mm-hmm. for any man that would fill that role. You know, it's interesting because what you're saying, um, without saying it can be summed up in one word, at, at least on the tail end of what you're just now saying, uh, this is discipleship. 
Like if, if you think about what we're talking about, yeah. we're talking about the world calls it mentoring, but Jesus calls it discipleship, like making followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you do that, then all of the principles that will benefit people, even naturally speaking, um, they, they gather these things. They learn these things in the context of being discipled. They have a picture in front of them of what the family looks like and wherever there was even a deficit, man, there, there's the opportunity to see something that maybe um, they've not seen before. You know, I think though, Jerry, I think that the culture that we live in, we call it the world understands this better than Christians. They understand this. They understand discipleship and influence and keeping their message in front of um, people, right? Uh, more than we do. Sure. Like, why yeah. is it that we have they're not ashamed this of so their much? Me- they're not ashamed of their message either. They will shout yeah. it from the housetops. But yeah. see, what, what I what I see, especially with young men, a lot of young men do not know how to be men. And I'm not talking about being crude or mm-hmm. using foul language or anything like that. I'm talking about being a leader. I'm talking right. about uh, standing up and having courage and and respecting women and being a dad to, to children, all those things, a lot of young men are just wandering right now. They don't know what their place is. And yet when I talk to young women that aren't married, they're like, where are the men? They're yeah. looking for that knight in shining armor to come riding in. And you know what? You don't have to be a knight in shining armor, but you can be a man and you can mm-hmm. act like one and you can be a leader and you can be strong and brave and honorable and ethical and all those things. And, um, and, and we're losing that in our, our culture. The feminist movement somehow says, well, men can't be men. Some, they think that diminishes women. And oh, it does. Uh, if, if men come in and they act with, with courage and honor and dignity and all those things, I think women recognize that and, and they, they respond to it. It's amazing how we have allowed, and I, I constantly, I look, I, I turn back to question and to look at what we have done um, as members of the Lord's bride. I, I look to the church, and, and the reason I do that is not to attack the bride, but to say you cannot expect wicked people, immoral people, to be moral. Like, you can't expect them to do what's right. So right. what remains is for us. We are the people who are supposed to be salt, and we're supposed to be light. We are the people who are supposed to be influencing the culture. And we just haven't found in ourselves to do this. And, and to your point, and, and boy, I, I, I'm planning to do a, um, an upcoming show on, uh, on the feminist movement and what it has done uh, in the church. I mean, it's, it's, it's been horrible to look at how the enemy has destroyed God's picture male and female and the distinction that he's given there and the respect for both, but with stated roles. I mean, it's just, it's crazy that we have um, given that up. And so the world has stolen it and then redefined it and given it back to us and said, this is feminism. And then we find ourselves trying to work around that, but that's a different show. What I want to wrap up with is this. It sounds like to me that discipleship has been ignored that we have not taken seriously our role to influence the next generation. And we are seeing the results of that. Um, Jerry, your final thoughts. Well, it is. And, you know, I know I'm kind of harping on, on men and boys, uh, you know, certainly women could, we could talk about the role for women, but since I've raised four boys, let me leave you with this. 
when they were little, it dawned on me, I'm not raising boys, I'm raising men. And what I do, I want to be deliberate and proactive is I'm raising them. And I, I, I want them to grow up to be men of honor, men of integrity, men of courage, men who are strong and who will lead and who will protect their families and provide for them. And you know what? So far, so good. They're doing it. Amen. (laughs) Very good. Our guest, or my guest, has been Jerry Cox, the founder and executive director of Arkansas Family Council. You can go to familycouncil.org to learn more. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing, God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.